This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Richard Shamuka, defense expert and senior fellow at McDonald Laurie Institute, helps us understand the outbreak of violence and war between Israel, Hamas, and forces in Gaza. Handy Eddie Barrar answers some gardening questions from the Shift Heads and tells us how we can get the most life out of your cell phone. And a smile can change your body chemistry and make your day. Press Shaw, a smile expert who's been practicing dentistry for over 32 years in Winnipeg, helps us understand how a good smile can give us a great day and change our bodies and our lives. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Over the weekend, this weekend, as you just missed it, we were chatting about the uh, terrorist attacks from Hamas and Gaza and then Israel's retaliation and declaration of all-out war. Joining me now to get in conversation about this and shed some light on what's going on in the background, Richard Shamuka, defense expert, senior fellow at McDonald Laurier Institute. Richard, uh, thanks for being here. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, this one, normally we get to chat about military and fun, nerdy things. This one's way less fun. In fact, I am sure you're probably the same, but I'm even hesitant to dig into this conversation. Um, how's it? How, how are you doing? Uh, pretty good, Shane. Thanks for having me. It is, it's a tough one. Uh, yeah. certainly the, uh, the Israeli-Palestinian struggle has been quite a long one, and it's, there's, no, there's no good answers. There's nothing that's at all appealing about it. It's, it's pretty ugly all around. Yeah, it is ugly all around, and there are so many layers to it, you know, and I think that often we're a little bit lazy, and I'm not accusing you of being lazy, but the way we do say it is Israel-Palestine struggle. Um, is there a distinction here? I mean, we, we've got to stay away from the politics of it all, but the is there a distinction here when we say Israel-Palestine, but then you've got Hamas that does these things that, you know, there's an awful lot of countries in the world that recognize Palestine as an independent state. And there are an awful lot of places that say Hamas is uh, a terrorist group and, and yet distinctly different. And yet and so so the tangled web weaves. Well, absolutely. I, I mean, uh, Hamas's position within the Palestinian territories within itself is, is, is obviously quite controversial. It's, it's somewhat of a newer formation. It's, it's separate from the Palestinian uh, Authority, uh, which should normally be the, the sort of the leader of the Palestinian uh, people, but uh, it, it controls the Gaza Strip and has, has been in pushing into the West Bank over the, over the past decade here. And so it certainly is, it's, it's a quite a, what do you call it? Uh, it's, it's positions brought in. It's a struggle even within, within the Palestinian people uh, and, and their sort of their tactics as we've seen uh, very, very obvious in the past uh, 72 hours here can be quite barbaric. Uh, and they've, they've certainly been pushing, they've, they've been very much the sort of the violent actor that has sort of pushed this conflict uh, compared to obviously the Palestinian Authority or, and some of the other groups. Okay. Uh, complicated, without a doubt. Let's get into the, the nuts and bolts about what happened, and then and you can share insight, Richard, here on this one. Again, I, I'm, I don't want to be overly delicate uh, with it, but I also want to be extremely delicate with it. So if we... Uh, uh, tripwire, something that we just can't speak to. Just feel free to call that. Uh, let's get started with what happened. Um, Hamas storms into Gaza and uh, blows a bunch of stuff up, kidnaps a bunch of people, and kills a bunch of people. One was a music festival that had hundreds of young people. And um, this seemed to catch Israel off guard, which to me, if you asked me what was the probably the one of the most protected states around, uh, I would probably say it's Israel, but yet this one seems to have been a su total surprise. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of the sort of expert commentaries surrounded that have compared this to the 1973 Yom Kippur War, which at that time also uh, caught uh, the Israeli security forces surprise. Uh, given the level of I'd say, intelligence gathering uh, and the sort of the focus that Israel has on the, the Palestinians uh, and Hamas, it is extremely surprising. One point that's been made, though, however, is that you've seen the the Israeli government has been more focused on on um, on the West Bank. A lot of their uh, sort of a lot of the units that were actually posted towards Gaza have actually been uh, sort of cut down in numbers in order to reinforce what's going on in the West or sort of some of the unrest that's been going on in the West Bank. And as a result, there has there was maybe less in the attention. But at the same time, we should also note that uh, Hamas, uh, in their own way, has has sort of conducted a really um, uh, unique or they've done a lot of innovative things to sort of undermine Israeli sort of efforts to maybe stop this right off the bat. They knew what sort of the the headquarters that they had to hit, the sort of the cameras, the sort of border posts, and it was extremely well coordinated. So in some ways, uh, you know, on one half, you kind of say, yes, it's an Israeli intelligence failure, but at the same time, I mean, in some ways, it's Hamas's kind of, innovative tactics that kind of exploited those failures to its fullest. Now, the results of that has been an awful lot of people kidnapped. We had some stories here about uh, some Canadians involved in all of that, too, earlier on in the show before you joined us, Richard. So uh, what comes next? Now, uh, we're trying to take a pragmatic look at what happened over the course of the weekend this weekend in Israel, uh, Gaza, and um, with Palestine and Hamas. And so what happened next was... Obviously, there was uh, some retaliation, and they came back. There was more rockets, more people killed than the last war in the first 24 hours, I believe, and more rockets fired than that. So the um, retaliation has been swift. It's been fierce. But now it seems like war has been declared, and with hostages, a little hesitant to go blast everything. Um I, I, I hate to say that there's being restraint being used here, considering they've used more than they have in any recent uh, war interactions, but it seems like they're not obliterating each other. Are they trying to find people, or what can we speculate is going on, and what do we see this week? So I would say we're not even started yet. Uh, reportedly, the, uh, the Israeli government is uh, basically has mobilized 300,000 troops reservists. That's basically most of their army uh, reserve that's going to come into service pretty quickly here. Uh, and I think there's some, not to get into the politics too much, I'm not an expert exactly on Israeli politics by any means, but certainly uh, Netanyahu has, has stated that his stake is kind of political career on this right now, that he needs, that this is a massive failure and it has to be uh, responded to at the fullest extent. The problem is, is that trying to the objectives of maybe wiping out Hamas within the Gaza Strip is exceptionally difficult. I mean, this, you're, this is going to be street by street, block by block fighting, which would, which would be extremely ugly. So we'd, I, very long we're saying I'm not too sure what's going to happen, but I think that Israel is priming itself for a very large response here. Um, how far it goes, what the objectives exactly are. You know, see, you can, we want to remove Hamas as a military actor is, I mean, if that was the case, they may have tried it many times ago, but uh, many, you know, in the last two or three decades here. And uh, I mean, some efforts that they have done has been never got to anything close to that. So 
I think it's hard to say uh, what exactly will be the sort of the next steps coming out here, but probably going to be much larger than what we're seeing right now. More to come, that's for sure. And the 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 social war um, is also larger than ever. We've seen this already, right? We've seen the immediate photos, and and these aren't journalists. I mean, all sides are posting photos and and we see this sort of i don't want to call it propaganda because it is reporting but in some ways everybody's doing their marketing and you know the pictures of of kids and bodies and bags and all the things from all these different sides and i think it speaks to the 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 intersection of these two worlds in this place of gaza right i mean it's not like you can go wipe out gaza and not kill international people and innocent palestinians and Israelis, like you can't do that. So when you talk about door to door, that has to be even more difficult in a place that, you know, I mean, they're saying get out, but how, where you go? I mean, how, no, so I, I mean, the the, the, yeah, the potential nightmare that, of this, uh, right? And that's and that's that's one of the core sort of um, sort of considerations that the Israeli government has. Uh, I mean, we can go back to some of the, you know, earlier periods where you had massacres and whatnot, and, and it, it reflected very poorly on the Israeli government. They still suffer, you know, a, a dramatic hit from that uh, now. So is, uh, Israel is, has, this will be a consideration within there, how they will sort of undertake their operations, uh, for sure. Uh, again, how this is going to be undertaken, what's what's the sort of nature of it is, you know, uh, that we don't know because it is going to be difficult. How long can they sustain such a massive operation? Again, out of a country of 8.7 million, I believe, if you've got half a million almost under arms, that's a huge part of your population that's now basically mobilized and, and fighting a war, and, and that can't be sustained forever, right? So, uh, and, and an operation like this will be extremely difficult. So it's going to be, we don't know. So I, I keep returning to this point, but it's, 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 we're, we're basically only a couple of days out from the actual, you know, the massacres and, and the, the incursion and, and how this is going to go down is, is still very unclear. Let's create some context on size, because um, you spoke, you know, about the reservists, 300,000 reservists. Now, if you look at other wars around the world, um, that, you know, that doesn't seem like an awful lot of people. But at the same time, I mean, everybody spends time in the military uh, when you're in is when you're in Israeli, so um, that that's one thing. So the square footage of Israel, Richard, uh, thanks to Doctor Google, is twenty two thousand one hundred forty five square uh, kilometers. Twenty two thousand. The square uh, kilometers of British Columbia, and I chose British Columbia because I saw a meme online over the weekend. Um, uh, that's compared to um, like BC to other places in the world. And so I'll start there. So 22,000 kilometers squared for Israel, British Columbia, 944,000. The closest that I really found is Nova Scotia, which is twice as big as Israel. Israel is four times the size of PEI. It's not a big space. So inside that, comparatively to our what we're used to in Canada, inside of that is an awful lot of people jammed into an awful lot of space. If we look backwards in time through history, we've seen Israel's technology grow militarily, uh, Richard. And what are they really up against when it comes to this against a terrorist group? Because it seems like a David and Goliath conversation even today. Well, I think that that's one of the uh, one of the 
remarkable things about Israel as a country. Um, you know, starting from 1948 onwards, how they've, they've basically been surrounded uh, up until the, the sort of the agreement they had with uh, Egypt, uh, basically sort of fighting fighting their neighbors uh, for their very existence. And even now, when you see, uh, prior to the incursion that we just saw a couple of days ago, you, it's so small that you, Hamas would launch rockets from various places in Gaza, whatever, and, and a very modest-sized rocket can reach halfway across Israel and, and target any one of its major cities. And, and one of the one of the responses to this is, was the development of the Iron Dome system, which is a anti-ballistic missile system that's been quite effective, even even in this le- in those last couple of days here, it's sort of stopping uh, some of the the sort of small um, missiles that are being shot at them. So. I mean, the the to your point, when you see the reserve mobilization system, which is reputedly probably the best in the world, uh, it's basically predicated on the idea that we need to mobilize quickly because the potential for an existential threat on our country is so large and it can come so quickly, like we just saw in a couple of days here, that uh, we need to be able to mobilize and, and bring troops to the fore very quickly. Otherwise, you know, if we don't have it in, in place in a couple of days, we could be overrun. You know, if you look at 73 or 67, it can only be a week before, let's say at that time it was the Jordanians or the Egyptians or whatever, can actually overrun the entire country. So uh, their system mobilization is designed to sort of deal with this this threat and, and the army and the conscription, which is, I believe, 32 months for uh, for most people, for anybody in the country, uh, for Israeli citizens, is, is designed to ensure that you have a ready populace that's able to sort of defend the country if, if necessary. So to put those numbers into context, Canada is recently reported that we're down about 10% from ideal numbers, but just under 70,000 troops. We're talking 300,000 reservists. So that's a remarkable number when we're talking about a space half the size of Nova Scotia. But that Iron Dome you talked about, I mean, it is a small space. Like you said, just a a modest, medium-sized rocket goes an awful long way in a place like that. The Iron Dome was clearly helpful with the um, Iraq back in the day, about 20 or 25 years ago. And and we've seen that same Iron Dome get distributed elsewhere uh, in different incarnations. Ukraine and everything else has been asking for it, too. So um, what what do we learn from that part? I mean, when we go back to, for me, my biggest memory, uh, I've seen many documentaries about the Egypt thing, and then obviously the Iraq and the Patriot missiles and all those bits and pieces. What are we looking at here, and where else in the world do we see militarily the same stuff maybe that we can get some understanding from? Uh, it's, been, it's been actually purchased by the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, the U.S. Army had bought some as well. I can actually use as part of their undone system as part of a, it uses actually its radar as a, Part of a medium-range radar system. Um, Iron Dome is a really interesting effective system because it's not just aimed at just rockets, but also drones or whatnot. Um, there's been some talk, there's been some failure uh, in this conflict, but partly that's because uh, reputedly or reportedly that the, the Hamas had uh, sort of kept a large stockpile and basically shot a lot of them, something over maybe 4,000 uh, rockets or something like that, reportedly. Um, in, in the space of uh, basically a day. And to some degree, there was just not enough iron domes that are able to, um, to sort of, uh, missiles that are able to, uh, to deal with it. But um, if you look at the threat, uh, and we're seeing sort of some of the capabilities, such as um, smaller drones being used against tanks and all that, uh, it just shows 
just how difficult the modern warfare environment is. It's, it's similar to what's in Ukraine, where you know drones and other sort of smaller systems that are that are not planes, which used to be the main sort of concern uh, for uh, for our military forces. But again, um, mortars, rockets, uh, smaller targets that are able to sort of just go under the radar and sort of attack forces that in ways that weren't possible for Iron Dome is basically designed to sort of deal with those kind of problems, uh, those kind of threats. And, and it's something that's become increasingly necessary uh, to this day and, and how modern warfare has really changed in the past two decades here. So uh, I don't know if this question is too big, Richard, you're the expert. And um, the increased militarization that we've seen since Russia invaded Ukraine, We've seen, obviously, an awful lot of trading of arms, and, and the I thought came from the drones, right? The, the, the drones, the Iranian drones that have been deployed by Russia over Ukraine. Things like that, though, is that stuff, do you believe, more readily available now as more countries have started to ramp up? I mean, many countries, Canada included, have donated things. Therefore, they're going to the manufacturers, the uh, Walmart of military arms, if you will, and they're shopping for their blue light special. So um, are we seeing um, this perhaps be evidence of available military inventory? Oh, it's not just the Walmart of arms. It's literally Walmart. You can, the drones that you can buy in any you know, big box store can be, have been militarized uh, by groups such as Hamas or by ISIS or even, even the Russian Federation because they're cheap, they're effective. And, What's happened, other than basically the United States and Israel, there's been a lack of development in sort of capabilities that can stop that threat. Uh, and, and the U.S. has sunk tens of billions of dollars into this area just to, just to sort of get their handle around it because they see the threat. And Israel, obviously, as we talked about Iron Dome and David Slings and other systems, um, they've, they've identified this as a problem because they see it on the front lines. But this has really changed warfare, and I can tell you for Canada's sake, we, we've really not even started scratching the surface on it. Uh, the Europeans are behind the Americans. They see the threat. They just haven't put the same amount of money as the United States has. But because it is so pervasive and so lethal to some degree, it, it, won't, it won't necessarily – it could, I shouldn't say. Uh, it, it may not necessarily change – you know, the entire uh, nature of battles, uh, but it can really, we, we basically operate in societies that are very risk averse and we don't want to see casualties. We, you know, body bags coming back home is a really sort of, really sort of negative aspect for any sort of war. Look at how many are casualties we had in Afghanistan and this and these systems basically are lethal and they can cause casualties and they're very graphic sort of ways. See all the videos that are out there and, that can really turn support against any sort of intervention that we participate in our war. And so, uh, you know, and the United States has seen this threat. They're, they're saying, you know, that other countries are trying to go for, are trying to develop their own countermeasures, but it's still, we're still not really there compared to what, uh, what, what threat that they pose. We didn't even get into the conversation, Richard, of the um, international impacts. I mean, right now it causes a distraction from Ukraine getting help because Israel's going to ask for help. And then all of these bits and pieces. And when you look at Canada with, you know, 60,000 plus a little bit of troops um, stressed more thin. And then the Haiti conversation also unfolded this weekend with help from Haiti that 
Canada was asked to be a part of, or we were sort of voluntold to be a part of, but did not take. So there's there's an awful lot of distribution of military efforts around the world, and we're going to have to save that for our next conversation because um, this one is still unfolding, and uh, there's so much to talk about. I appreciate you being here, brother. Thanks, Ajay. This is the Shift Podcast. Yes, he is. And if anybody was to have turkeys in his backyard, it's probably going to be Handy Andy. He's just that kind of guy. Happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving, Shane. Even though uh, the the day is sort of ending and back to work for everybody, we might as well. And uh, getting at it. So family time. Did you see your folks steal some internet? What'd you get up to? Yeah, yeah. We had a big uh, Thanksgiving dinner with my family and uh, it, it was great. You know, the thing about my family is everybody comes with like, they bring like a bottle for a gift. So I'm trying like tequila, scotch and vodka and eating turkey with lots of stuffing all in one day. It was a uh, quite the event something i don't rarely do well with your um your family's indian background do you guys blend some of the old school uh old country with thanksgiving and make it a little bit different or do you guys stick to the more north american thanks canadian thanksgiving stuff yeah it's it's very much a north american thanksgiving you know lots of turkey lots of stuffing a uh, lot of sides uh the families all together and we all sit at one table. So yeah, I would say it's a, a traditional kind of North American style Thanksgiving. That's cool. Yeah. And lots of tequila, lots of scotch. Lots of- <laughs> yeah. And a lot of that as well. That's, that and that's the only it. time I like try that stuff around with my family. Everybody's like, Hey, let's try this. Let's try this. Yeah. That's cool. That's fun though. That's the whole point. That's a lot of fun. And I, I did went on a bit of adventure for my mom. My mom has this wine that she kind of, that she gets in the box, right? And, um, and I always bug her about that. I keep telling her tornado's going to hit her house. But the, um, the, <laughs> I said to her, I said, do you have enough wine for tonight? This was for Sunday. We'd already been there for Saturday. And, uh, she's like, yeah, I think so. So I picked it up. I was like, yeah, it's probably, I said, but it'd be really crappy to run out. And so I, I was like, I'm going to go to the, to the liquor store and, and go find some. Well, in, for those who uh, aren't listening from Alberta, Alberta's liquor is privatized. So you, there's, it's like Starbucks everywhere, yeah. liquor stores. But you don't get the same stuff at every store. It's not like when you go um, in Ontario, right, and you go uh, and you could just get everything the same at every store, basically. It's not like that. And so I, I went in their town of Disney. There's four or five liquor stores. I went to every liquor store. Do you guys have this? Showed them a picture. Nope. Do you have this? Showed them a picture. Nope. So I picked up a bottle of wine and took it home to my mom that I knew that she would appreciate. And I said, here you go. I got you this. I said, did you know that no liquor stores in, in Didsbury, your town, carry the wine you like? She goes, oh, yeah, you have to go to this town to get it. And I was like, could have mentioned that before when we left to go chase wine on a Sunday afternoon. So Thanksgiving does strange things to families. I've learned that over the course of the weekend this weekend. That's for sure. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, and some things don't change with families, you know. That's why it's it's great, you know. I I love talking to my drunk uncles, you know, and they give me life advice. It's yeah. great. <laughs> the weird uncles. Uh everyone knows that, weird uncle Bob. Okay, um Handy Andy is here. It's handyandymedia.com, DIY gadgets and so much more. The uh, we are going to talk about how to prolong the life of your phone here shortly. But first I wanted to bring up I think it was Angel's post at shiftheads.ca in the Facebook group. She planted some romaine tried to get it to root, wanted to get it to grow, and it grew, but it grew looking more like a, a tree than it did lettuce. Did you see that post? What did you see there? 
I did. I saw that post uh, earlier today and I replied back to her. Uh, I encourage everybody to take a look at this picture at shiftheads.ca. She basically tried to plant, I I believe she said six seeds of romaine lettuce. One came out and it doesn't look like romaine lettuce at all. So she asked me like, what could the problem be? Now, someone else kind of beat me to it uh, in the comments, but suggested that it looks like it was bolted just because we had some warm weather. Uh, lettuce is, is a, typically a cold crop. We call them a hardy type of crop that can handle colder weather. But once it gets warm, once there's lots of direct sun, it tends to bolt. And I learned this from trying to grow uh, spinach in the summertime. Quickly learned that that's why it, nobody grows spinach in the summertime because it's, once it starts growing and it gets a lot of sun, it bolts. So yeah, that's what it looked like. It was probably a combination of warm weather and also the shorter days. It, it told the plant, oh, it's time to flower, and hence it started bolting. That's what you mean by bolting. It grows up, it grows tall, it flowers, it, it leaves everywhere. Because that's what I went through with the bok choy. When I planted yeah. my bok choy, it just flowered and grew into a stick. Um, it, and I, I've heard that even radishes will do this, all kinds of different ones will do this, that when they get to the, you got to pick them before they get to the growth cycle. This is new to me, or else they will do exactly that. Is that what you mean by bolting? Yes, this is why with certain plants, you have to plant it at at certain times of the year. Mother Nature doesn't allow you to wait, you know. Uh, Typically, and this is why you always see, Shane, when we're just coming out of winter, I start talking about gardening. But the only things I'm really growing are like kale, lettuce, and spinach. Those are the cold crops that can withstand being outside when it's still, you know, relatively cold. But what I, I do, I get an early start. I put them out there. I, I start them indoors and then I transplant them because I know they won't bolt. I also know that the weather is going to get warmer. So it starts to get those roots. And by April, early April, once you know people are starting to garden, I already have a, a harvest that I, that I could harvest out of there because of that early start. But then you have to stop growing those plants as soon as you get into summer, because the bolting happens from the stress of the heat and the sun, it really turns it and makes it want to start flowering. Um, that's why it's really important to get, you can get these charts online. They tell you like what week to plant certain types of plants so that you can get the most out of it. And then you can do succession planting. You know, you can continue planting. This is why a lot of people, especially on the West Coast, will have fall gardens because the weather starts to cool. And once again, they can grow that lettuce, the kale, and the spinach, uh, those cold crop hardy plants. I was just going to say that for anybody who's listening across Canada, the only people who can grow gardens this way are people like Andy in the Lower Mainland, Vancouver Island, and maybe in a small pocket of the Niagara Peninsula, everybody else is too cold. You can't. Um, but but hey, it's good to one know. thing, one thing at the uh, Thanksgiving, uh, a relative gave me some garlic, and they're like, "Oh, now's the time to plant." I never actually grew garlic before, but you're supposed to plant it now, before uh, frost, about six weeks before frosting, and then you harvest it apparently in July. So. You know, I'm still learning this whole gardening game. I'm a tech guy by heart, but now I'm trying to go on the other side of the fence by learning all this gardening. So, yes, this year, now that I got those garlic bulbs, I'll be giving that a shot as well. So let's um, – well, this all started because Andy was too lazy to water his plants, and he always tried to use technology yes. to do it, and it's turned into a full-on uh, hobby at this point. Okay, uh, let's do talk about grass. One last thing about the plants before we go. Yeah, this is also a great time. Like, people aren't thinking about their lawn – uh, in the fall, but it actually is a really good time to start oh, prepping. Lawn. I assume different. Sorry, to prep your grass lawn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so 
A funny thing happened to me, Shane. I was working on my laptop today and somebody was looking over my fence at my grass. And then he walked through the gate, knocked on the door, and then he was continuing looking at my grass. I was like, what's going on? So I talked to this guy and he's like, hey, I'm doing some work on a, a, one of your neighbors down the street. I have my aerator and I was just kind of looking at your grass. I see a lot of thatch. I see, you know, that it, it doesn't, it's not breathing very well. Basically, he's criticizing my grass in front of me. I'm like, man, like I almost took it to heart, Shane. Like I was getting defensive. And then I told him, listen, I do all the work myself. I was trying to show him that like I'm not going to be a customer, but he just kept talking about my grass and I was getting hot and I wanted to get defensive. But <laughs> I was should. like, you know what? He, he's a small business owner. I get what he's doing. He's trying to sell. And so I just politely declined and told him that I would do my own grass maintenance, which was funny because we were going to talk about grass on this show today. So it kind of made me chuckle. Lawns. People misunderstand when we say grass. Um, yes. Especially well, yeah, show, yeah, I guess right? it means two things now in Canada, yeah, right? Yeah, it does. Both are legal. The, um, I think you should be offended, Andy. I mean, this guy, he comes up to you. I mean, what a terrible sales pitch as opposed like yeah. being critical of your lawn after somebody's clearly worked on it. As yeah, opposed to like, hey, I can help you with this if you're looking for some help. But it to me seems did, like a better sales pitch. Shane, I was purposely not giving him like, when, usually when I talk to somebody, I like nod my head all the time. But I thought if I did that, it, he would suggest or get that nonverbal cue that I was interested. So mm -hmm. I was trying to be very stoic and not make as I'm listening to him. But he just kept talking and talking. And as he keeps like saying, oh, yeah, you need to do this. You need to thatch. You need to get an aerator and I can do this all for you. So you don't have to do it because clearly you're not doing it. And I'm like, we just came out of all this drought in the summer. That's why my grass looks so bad. But, <laughs> but I didn't say that. I was polite and I politely declined and said, uh, I, I will take care of it when I have time available. Yeah. Thank you for stopping by and interrupting my day. Yeah, um, no, well, I had cool. some coffee in the house and I just poured it and it was getting cold and I kept thinking about it. I wish I had that cup of coffee. I could have listened to him more while I sipped it, but <laughs> I had to go and grab that cup. Oh, man, this is good stuff. Andy, AndyMedia.com to go and uh, learn more about Andy. Since we're talking about outside and the fall, let's talk about the old barbecue. Yeah, everyone, I know barbecue season's over, but if you haven't cleaned your barbecue, now is the time. I want to remind everybody... The best way, turn it on, full blast, burn all of that leftover residue of food. You want to get rid of it. Also check for rust around your barbecue. You want to kind of clean that off because if you don't, the rust will continue and get worse, especially uh, during the winter time when the moisture is coming out. So yeah, this is the time. I know everyone's thinking about Halloween, but fire up that barbecue, leave it on at full blast, 15, 20 minutes, you know, and make sure everything works before you shut everything down for the winter. Um, I just did that the other day. So I just want to make sure I remind people to, to do that as well, to extend the life of, of your barbecue. I'm somewhat disappointed that you just said barbecue season's over in the Hewitt family. I mean, well, there's yeah. no stopping. Like you, you middle of winter, whatever. You go out, you barbecue. That's what you do, That's man. True. I feel like it's a Canadian thing. Like you have to. Yeah, I, I kind of cover mine up. Like once I put that cover on, it's kind of like, oh, I'm too lazy to take it off. But there's a lot of people that, that barbecue all year round. Yeah, you're there's right. There's a recurring theme that. here. You notice that, right?
Handy Andy Barrar is here, handyandymedia.com. If you want to check out his website, follow along on his YouTube channel. You can subscribe to that so you'll get notified when there's new uh, videos that go up, not to mention some of them get shared at shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group, but not all of them. So you can follow along to Handy Andy, what he gets up to as well. One of the texts that came in, Andy, was uh, chatting about phones. Of course, battery life is a big one. What can we do to get more out of our phones? Yeah. Uh, If you look at the average person, they upgrade their phone typically about two and a half years. And the reason that they're upgrading is usually the battery life just can't hold the charge and they can't get through the full day uh, without having to recharge it at some point in time. So that gets frustrating so that they get a new phone and then they realize they could use it all day and the battery is just great. A lot of that has to do with the lithium ion batteries in phones themselves they, they slowly lose their ability to hold charges. And it usually takes about two years when you really start to notice the performance goes down. Now, the other thing has to do with service uh, that the manufacturer provides for that phone because phones are constantly getting security updates. And when, you, when, a, when a phone start, you know, reaches that end of life and they stop providing security updates, that is a really, really important time to upgrade your phone because you become vulnerable to hackers and whatnot because your phone is not protected. And of course, you have so much of your personal information in your phone. Now, looking through the different types of brands, an iPhone, you can usually get four to eight years of life, but that all depends on Apple and their iOS upgrades because sometimes they'll make an iOS upgrade and then certain phones are not supported by that. And then they have app upgrades. And then if you want to update the app, you have to update the operating system, but your phone can update the operating system. So what do you have to do? You have to buy a new iPhone. Uh, Samsung, typically three to six years. The Google Pixel, three to five years. However, that will change. I think they announced with the Pixel 8, they're going to do about seven years of service updates. Um, So between that, you know, you can really extend the life. My tip, Get yourself an external battery pack. You can get super slim ones as well if you notice that your phone is dying throughout the day and give it a quick charge midday. That's probably one of the best ways. And try to keep your, your phone clean. Delete you know unnecessary files so that you do have some storage on there. And, and you know delete the apps that you don't use because most people typically use five to seven apps on a daily basis. But if you do those tricks, you really can push the life of your phones. And I think that's important in these economic times. You want to get the most out of your tech and, you know, with just different type of maintenance and good strategies, you can extend the life of most smartphones. Yeah, so that's important because the cost of things going on now, you see the Google Pixel is substantially less than some of these other phones. But when you're looking at, you know, the cost of the iPhone 15 and all the new bits and pieces, these things are very expensive. And I I have a new computer now because I bought mine because mine was old. It's about five years old. But this is the shortest um, lifespan of obsolescence on an operating system that I've ever seen with Apple. The new Sonoma is 2019 and older, can't add it. So the planned obsolescence and the batteries and all the things they've been accused of in the past now seems to be that they're just force feeding by the way you can't get updates anymore and they're going to force you to buy a new computer, which is one thing, but I don't think you can claim to be an environmentally friendly company when you're forcing people to get rid of all of this technology that's lying around. Yeah. And their argument is going to be, oh, well, you know, for these improvements, you have to have the the newer 
you know, um, operating system. So that's why you have to upgrade. But you're right. You want to get the more life out of these investments. Unfortunately, it's like that old adage. They just don't make them like they used to. And that's even going with computers these days. They want you to upgrade your laptops around maybe, say, four to five years, when most people were doing it maybe seven, eight years uh, in the past. And that's just a very unfortunate thing because I try to get the most out of, of my devices. Uh, I, I, for example, I have a laptop right now. I think I told you, Shane, it doesn't open and close anymore. So the hinge is breaking. So now I can't close it. I have to like leave it open. I have a post-it note to never close it again because I don't want it to, to break at the hinge. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm doing all these kind of things to extend the life so I can get the most out of this tech and save money in the process. Now, I have an old computer. It's an old MacBook. It's huge. It's heavy. It's not fun to carry around. Works perfectly fine. I expect it to work slowly, but the reality is, is that they, they can't update anything. I can't put anything new on. I can't do anything. And, you know, it becomes a brick because of it. And I, it, it drives me nuts, Andy, because this it whole... Hurts. Well, shoving everything down our throats that we're supposed to be more responsible with plastic straws, but you're telling me these companies get away with this and yeah. nobody asks questions. I mean, the yeah. biggest thing they've done, it took them, what, five years to get Apple to use the same power cord as everybody else. So people had less power cords lying around. It seems wildly offside to me. Yeah, they had been talking about power cords right back in the days of micro USB. And that's when Apple came out with the 26 pin connector and then later the lightning. So they've They've known about this, but they made a lot of money by licensing out that technology to all the other accessory manufacturers. Drives me nuts. Absolutely nuts. I don't think it's fair. Okay, so there you go. There are your tips on how you can save some of your battery life too and little things that you can do to help hopefully save you some money. HandyAndyMedia.com. You go follow along or you can always find Andy, uh, like Angel did, at ShiftHeads.ca in the Facebook group. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Smile. <laughs> How many times have you said that when you're taking a picture, right? Uh, it's one of those cool things that I think everybody gets. And I really have learned this more recently than ever before. Eh, I smile. That's good. But it's actually not your smile that's the best part of your smile. But yet it is your smile that gives you confidence to smile. It's word salad. I get that. But it really is true. Our confidence in our teeth gives us confidence to smile and share our teeth. But yet, it's actually not our smile that's the best part that people see in us. This is where we're going to get into some really cool conversation. I think uh, with uh, we're going to Winnipeg, actually, here to dig into this conversation. Um, I, <laughs> Revive Dental is the company, by the way, that's uh, where you can go catch this cat, um, who has decided to join us on the long weekend. Also incredibly, uh, incredibly kind. Um, Press Shaw is here, and this is uh, smiling's your jam, isn't it, brother? It is. I've been uh, been practicing dentistry for thirty two years, and I I I, st I don't even see myself stopping right now. I love what I do, and I love uh, yeah making an impact on people's lives and and helping them helping them with their smiles and their confidence. Yeah, and uh, this part of the conversation is less about flossing every day, which. Dr. Shaw will tell you, yes, must. Um, but it is um, but it is more about that self-confidence thing. Uh, Presh, when you see those people come in yeah. and you either do repair work or new hygiene just to clean up the existing teeth and all the bits and pieces, when people's teeth are clean, when they're healthy, they smile more. But 
I would imagine as a dentist, I mean, that's one thing. I mean, that's kind of like the tools, but when you see how happy they are, when they see that stuff, that must be um, incredibly rewarding for you. Is that the real payoff? Is the confidence more so than the actual teeth? Yeah, I would say so. Um, it's interesting because myself and my hygienist, one of the things we find, like we'll, we'll get people coming in who literally sometimes, oh, I haven't been in for a few years, and some of them have been 10 years or more. And they're, and they're all nervous about cavities and yet they, you know, they don't like their breath and they don't like their smile and it's all stained. And as soon as we can get them engaged and realizing that just by cleaning it up and doing, doing some basic everyday uh, maintenance and care of your teeth, that uh, all of a sudden you start seeing, hey, I, I, my teeth aren't stained as much anymore and I'm not, my gums aren't bleeding anymore. And next thing you know, they just feel better about themselves. And it's a simple thing for us to do as soon as they break that barrier. And it doesn't have to cost a lot for all the people who already have nice teeth, but just they're kind of disguised by bleeding gums and stains. Yeah, that to me sounds like people who, um, you know, are sort of on the end of the spectrum where it's, they really just kind of need to clean things up. Right. And there's a lot of people out there that are like that. I mean, it's very easy to be scared of the dentist. And I don't mean actually scared of the chair, just scared of cost or implications of, you know, things have gone wrong. Right. And and sometimes it's time. And so I, I get all of those people. And I think I've probably been there at times where I've, you know, neglected things or whatever. I have learned, though, that the smile part, your teeth and your smile are the same and distinctly different. Right. And not to get overly philosophical about it, and that's the part that's really cool. You must get people that come in and they're like, doc, I don't like this smile like this. I have a terrible smile and they maybe cover up or they don't show their, they keep their lips pursed. And you're looking at them going, you have fantastic teeth and a great smile and you need to share that. Like, how do you cut through on that part where they're like, yeah, I don't like it. I want to change all this stuff. And you're looking at them going, you have amazing teeth. Uh, you know what? I see that often and uh, especially with younger younger patients and more younger females, because there's always this social media perception that it's got to be absolutely perfect everywhere. And and you see these beautiful teeth, maybe there's just little spaces or the odd tooth that's a little crooked. But, um, you know, I, we try as much to, to be, to instill that reinforce confidence in them and say, look, you've got beautiful teeth. There's some very small things and those are easy to, to manage and we could do it in a very conservative way. When, when COVID hit, it became even more noticeable because a lot of people were coming in in late 20 and, and even into 2021 and 22. And they were going like, I hate looking at myself on zoom or teams. And mm -hmm. then they'll just black out their, they either wear a mask or they'll actually just won't show their face. And, and you start realizing that and, you know, you give them options and everything, but a lot of times it's just reinforcing. And so one of the things truthfully that I'll do is there are times where I just, I'll refuse to do some of the treatment they want. I just, I don't feel comfortable with it. And, and I'll tell them, look, you know, like you really don't have a lot to do. It can be very conservative with a little bit of bleaching and maybe a little bit of bonding, but I don't have to destroy your teeth by doing veneers and stuff like that. You're welcome to go and find someone down the street that'll take your money. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they'll look and go, oh, maybe, maybe it's not as bad. Yeah. Well, and, and isn't that funny that even though that, you know, your trade is teeth, it's 
more human than than anything else. It's kind of like doctors, right? When you get into a, a, a GP, and quite often it's not necessarily their trade would be the biology and all the things physiology, but at the same time, their actual art is the people, right? Yeah. It, it, and that's it, and that's really what you've. It sounds like what you've got going on there is that as much as yeah, you've got the trade of teeth, but the art isn't the teeth, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's yeah, the emotional it's thing. It's like uh, everything we do. You know what? We're we're a healthcare profession. We want to help the patients. There's another hat that we're running a business. We've got employees and we've got all of them. Mm-hmm. But at the same yep. time, uh, there are you know there are ways that to handle it and and to have integrity and some ethics along the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, leave people better off than when you found them. I suppose is probably the thing. And and uh, you know, if you sometimes leaving them better off might be inconvenient for what they're looking for, but you could be leaving them better yeah. off for it. And that's just a good reminder. I think for all people who try to be leaders last week, we had uh, world smile day. Yeah. Uh, sounds like a great opportunity to come visit the dentist for anybody. But at the same time, um, you shared some stats that I didn't know about, about smiles with me here that, um, that were really kind of cool. We like smiling. I, I guess the, there's probably some sort of brain chemistry, dopamine, something that when we smile, things start to fire in our brain. But you shared some really cool stats with us about smiling. Yeah, like, I, I mean, it's interesting, but about 65% of Canadians always or frequently smile at strangers, which is interesting. Like, I, you know, I, I, I think it makes a huge difference just when you meet somebody to just smile. <laughs> and mm-hmm. It's uh, for a lot of people, it's disarming. And when you, you, you don't know someone, you walk into a store, you walk out on the street and someone just smiles rather than scowls at you. It's hard to be upset with them. all of a sudden you have to, you know, you're, you're, you're compelled to smile back. Um, mm-hmm. It's no different than, you know, I've talked to some younger men, uh, team members who just starting and I would say to them look when you pick up the phone and you're talking on the other end just smile and they're like they're looking at you crazy and I'll be like trust mm-hmm. me you can already uh, project a different voice just by smiling that's a radio tactic by the way that's uh, if you ever in the world of radio if you're having a day and you don't know where to start I mean radio people even the music DJs especially the music DJs they you know they have their own lives they get a flat tire on the way to work or they break up with their partner or, or they've got bills to pay. And when you get there and especially in the world of music DJing, they've got seven seconds, 15 seconds to connect with you. And one of the secrets is a little bit behind the wizard's curtain, perhaps is if you, just before you start, you actually start smiling, force yourself into a smile before you, um, before you start speaking. And it does shine through the words sound different when you smile. And people get, people get that. I think people hear that. Yeah, I think they do too. You know, even your body language changes, right? Um, but you, you brought up about brain chemistry and so forth. You're absolutely correct. Just smiling allows uh, endorphins and, and other naturally occurring uh, chemicals in our body that allow us to, uh, to actually feel better about ourselves. And, and we know that... Uh, just releasing these endorphins uh, makes can actually be a health benefit to us, and so it's like a it's like a naturally occurring drug. And you know what? We're free. <laughs> yeah, right. Free and uh, better for you, without a doubt. Reduces. I like this. 
It does reduce stress. That's a big one. Um, being able to find moments to create smile and it does reduce stress out of your life. It also, I would go a little more psychology with it. It's a, it's a great pattern interruption tool. Absolutely. If you can do it yep. right. Um, so if ever you're in a situation where the conversation is, um, is difficult or whatever, I mean, you got to be careful because if it's a heated situation, smiling at somebody might make it more heated. <laughs> but um, it, it is it is one of those cool things that really can change the outcome. It's, it's really acknowledging other humans, right? It, it immediately creates connection. But smiling is not, and this is a probably risky question to ask a dentist, but smiling is so much more than your teeth, right? I mean, it's your eyes, it's the little lines on the side of your face. Oh, yeah. I mean, so many people will say people, some people get wrinkles on their nose yeah. and so many people say, I love your smile. And they'll say, I hate my teeth. And I'll say, no, I love it when your eyes wrinkle. Right. And so it's not necessarily about the teeth and that's, you know, that's, that one's out of your control. Yeah. It's the expression and so forth. Um, it's interesting. I'll have, uh, when I'm doing a makeover on a patient and we'll take before, photographs full face and we'll also have after ones and you can see the ones that have had uh, been impacted favorably by the changes even in their eyes when you see the photograph like they're actually mm -hmm. it's just beaming and twinkling so you're absolutely mm -hmm. correct it just it makes a huge difference i know a lot of people don't think about that because all they're focusing on is just what's here but uh but the expressions tell they definitely yeah, and the other people see everything. You might only see your teeth, right, right? Right, I mean, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but there there was one of the surveys that came out is like, what do you think uh, Canadians are are most secure about with their, insecure about with their, yeah. with their teeth, with their smile? Uh, insecure with their smile. Probably crooked teeth or spaces, I would say, is probably where it would come up, I'm guessing. Well, Maybe that's, that's just me projecting my own opinion. That it was actually the teeth being discolored or, or stained. 33 mm -hmm. percent um and but there's there's so many different ways that we can go about treating it. and i agree with you also the other one is if teeth are a little bit crooked absolutely mm -hmm. but isn't that what makes a smile unique yes it is and it's fascinating because you know i'll have uh, i'll 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 have a lot of younger females and i'm not trying to pigeonhole but it just happens to be that way they they just want this symmetry everything perfect perfect on both sides and the shapes and everything yet i'll have uh i'll have i gotta be careful how i pick older because i'm in that category but i'll have older patients who are you know 50s 60s 70s that will say look i just want it natural like i don't need it to be perfect but i just don't want those gaps and the stains and the discoloration mm. and and so you have to have some different conversations with with the different demographics Mm -hmm. sure. And that is interesting. Statistically, um, some of the other stuff you had said, um, which was that, um, you know, the health benefits that come from smiling just in general. I mean, that's probably that whole feel good psychology of it all, all those bits and pieces. But if you were to look at your relationship at work, right. right, and the people you interact with at work, that to me becomes a health benefit because if you're smiling, like, you can't fake it. That's the cool part. It's really hard to fake a smile. Like when someone fakes a smile, you're like, okay, right. you know, use car, cliche, use car salesman with your ugly tie, yeah. right? Like that's, that's kind of what we put at that. So you can't fake that. But if you could legitimately go through your day and share those moments, I think that changes every relationship at work. I 100% agree with you. And uh, it just creates, uh, 
Yeah, like I said earlier, it's just disarming. If someone's having a bad day, all of a sudden, it's hard to scowl back at them if they're smiling. Um, and uh, and the body language and the facial expressions go with it. Absolutely. And you just feel that much better. You're more energized. So there are definitely those those health benefits there. We live long. Yeah, so what... Well, yeah, but you're also a human. Yeah, like you said, you know, it's it's still a business. There's still employees and partners and all the things. And and um, but you're still human. I'm still human. We go through these days where we have a hard time. How do you go through that when you're having a bad day, a tough day? You know, you're dealing with family or whatever. How do you go through that and try to get that smile back? Because one of the things that I, I can almost just hear it intuitively right now with the shift head audience listening is that you know some days I just don't really feel like smiling, Shane. Uh, how do you get yours back? I mean, I've got mine. I'll share mine. But how do you get yours back on a tough day? Oh, boy. And that happens sometimes. I've had that over the last month a little bit. And uh, you know what? Uh, try and d- dig into something that's been uh, like something positive, maybe even from the day before or something that happened just when we got in there. Or, I, you know, another thing is there's a couple of people in our office that they're just naturally always happy and they're always looking at something positive and just all of a sudden going there and spending a couple of minutes with them and they just kind of rewire you to start mm-hmm. you know, snapping out of it. Yeah. And that's, we do that here with good news Tuesday. That's the whole point of why we do good news Tuesday is because sometimes one person's little story, tell me something good. Right. Uh, that one person's little story just leads you to your brain goes, Oh yeah, I, I did that. That was actually pretty good. My big one the last month, since that's our time frame, was that uh, it's been so beautiful weather wise. And it just happened to me on Monday morning. I walked outside, let the dog out. It's warm. It's sunny. It was my first time stepping outside for the day. And I don't remember nice a nice September into October like this, Thanksgiving weekend in particular, for in probably 15 or 20 years. Like I remember with some really hot days at the family cabin 20 years yeah. ago. And I don't remember this. So I walked outside, really tired, you know, worn out over the weekend. My sleep wasn't great. And I get into a funk when I, when I wake up and it's like that walk out, let the dog out sunshine's there. I put my arms out big, deep breath. And I was like, this is amazing. And then it's gone. It's like everything else just goes away. The problems haven't changed. Nothing's been solved, but then that smile comes back. That's important. No, no, absolutely. Love it. So So good. I love this. This is so great. I mean, um, you know, having a dentist as a friend is is one thing that's got to be difficult because I imagine you, your friends get self-conscious where they're like, you know, hey, Paresh, what's happening? And then they smile. And then if you ever your eyes look down yeah, at know. someone's teeth, yeah. you ever get self-conscious? Yeah. And right? all of a sudden, what are you looking at? <laughs> yeah. What is there something about my teeth? Yeah. So as a dentist, that's a good question. As, as a dentist, are you the guy that if someone's got some broccoli in their teeth, you tell them or what do you do? If they're a good friend or family member, yeah, I'll kind of make a little expression because I would want them to do the same thing with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. This is so good. I love it. Well, smile day is incredible. Um, Pershaw is in Winnipeg, uh, but to everybody out there that, that does that, it's the whole point of good news Tuesdays to be able to share those things and, and, uh, and take that away. And don't forget floss twice a day. We had the uh, CEO of the uh, Alberta dental association on recently. Right. And I, t- and I talked about, um, I talked about how, you know, you're, you're not a bad guy if you only floss once a day, but you got to floss two times a day. And he said, he's like, nope, got to be twice a day. <laughs> well, just, uh, like for us, I, you know, when, when the myself and my hygienist were trying to do small victories and some people, they're just realistically, look, I just don't floss. And if we can just convert them a little at a time, uh, whatever they're going to start with, it's baby steps. But 
you know, found uh, over the years, ridiculing people doesn't really help initially to do that and go, what are you talking about now? It's like, okay, how do we make this change? You know, create a system, start small, build towards something, you know, recommend mm -hmm. certain products and aids and stuff like that. And yeah. yeah. You ever, uh, you ever just call it out when someone's like, uh, have you been flossing? They're like, yep. And you're like, are you, do you ever just say, are you lying? <laughs> we, <laughs> yep. <laughs> we do know what it's because when they come in, uh, we actually take little measurements of their bleeding and their gum levels and bone levels and everything. So right off the bat, at least once a year, they have, they have a tangible reading that we give them. So it's just no mm. different than if you went to a doctor and got a blood report, blood panel, and they going over everything. So as soon as they see it and you got, Hey, you know, 23% of your mouth is bleeding and they're like, Oh yeah. So you got to work on this. And, and right off the bat, mm. so we engage them that way and then start well, anybody who's gone in for blood sugar, cholesterol, anything like that, that you get that comparison by having yeah. the old blood test, uh, which is, uh, that's actually a really good note. I, I, if you don't go to the dentist often, for whatever reason, going in for a checkup, even if you don't feel like anything's wrong, is valid for that very reason, right? Getting a, an x-ray to refer back in the last two or three years versus 10 years ago makes a difference to anticipate where things are changing. That's probably worth noting. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's just because a lot of times what happens is if there is a problem uh, from a cavity or gum and bone point of view, it's by the time you have symptoms, it's already advanced fairly far. And sometimes it's irreversible, which, so that prevention is a, is a huge, huge benefit. Yeah. Uh, worth it. And cool. Uh, keep smiling. Hey, eh? that's the, uh, just keep smiling. That's the good thing. Um, pressure on Winnipeg. Thank you for this world smile day brought up to us and shared with us and thought that was a great uh, idea. And, um, we just wanted to share that as part of our good news this week. And I think we should take on a challenge Presh, that, uh, for everything that we, um, that we, that we do here, um, you know, pay it forward. If you're in the drive-thru with coffee or whatever, well, pay it forward with a smile. I think that's a, that's a challenge we can all take on. Thanks so much for being here, brother. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Shane. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 